welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Jude, Contend for the Faith. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to Him dependently in prayer. Lord, we pray that You would open our hearts and minds by the power of Your Holy Spirit. That as the Scriptures have been read and Your Word is to be proclaimed, that we may hear with joy what You have to say to us today. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jude begins his short epistle identifying himself as the brother of James, which means that he's also the half-brother of Jesus. But in humility, he doesn't say that, does he? He simply identifies himself as the servant of Jesus Christ, as are we to whom he writes. In love for Christ's church, he writes to the called, as he calls us. But he writes with concern. He also writes with confidence, and we'll see this clearly but also he writes with caution. But his concern is not in God's powerful preserving of a people redeemed for his possession. That's not his concern at all. No, just as those who are predestined are called, just as those who are called are justified, just as those who are justified promised glory... See also Romans chapter 8, right? Jude here writes with confidence. And he writes with confidence in the sovereign grace of God. Knowing that God works all things together for our good and His own glory. He knows that the Lord is our keeper. And those whom the Lord keeps, no one will snatch out of His hand. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Jude puts it, are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Rightly, then, do we receive Jude's blessing, which he gives right here at the beginning of his epistle, which is customary for literature, epistolary literature of his day, but he uniquely uses three words here. Mercy, 
peace, and love. For they are gifts given to God's people from the Lord our God. We have not received what we deserve, have we? No. God has mercifully saved us by His grace through faith, leading us to await Christ's return. In fact, Jude will have much more to say about this in verses 21 and 22 and 23. But for right here and right now, what we see is this mercy and this peace and this love that Jude blesses us with motivates us as Christians. For we who enjoy peace with God, so also pursue peace. You could say that Christians are a people of peace. Paul put it clearly in Romans chapter 12 that we are to live peaceably, as much as it's up to us, with all. And to show peace to a world that does not know it. So we are to be not a people of strife, not a people of conflict, not a people of a warring mind and heart, but we are to be a people who carry the peace of God in Christ to the world who knows not peace. And we proclaim this peace of God in Christ. We do so as His beloved. You think about the verse that many of us know by heart, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. In God's love, we also share the love of God as, as Jude calls us, the beloved. And so Jude is confident. He's confident, if I may borrow from Paul's letter to the Philippians, he is confident that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's confident in that. But, trust and assurance in the sovereign grace of God, which we have. Trust and assurance in the sovereign grace of God does not negate concern and caution in the church. And you're going to see a lot of that in this short epistle. He is teaching us that even though we who have the greatest assurance in the world so also must exercise caution. We are to be a people of discernment. Our faith is not a gullible, blind faith and our assurance does not dismiss discernment. While our enemy may not snatch us from our Father's hand, Peter says that that enemy does prowl around, even in the church, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In other words, that we are kept does not mean that we do not keep watch. That we are secure does not mean that we are not sober-minded. Because as Jude warns us, the unthinkable, the corrupt creep into the church. In fact, if you look at the passage with me, how do they creep in? Unnoticed. They're extraordinarily convincing. They creep in and no one knows they're the snake in the grass. They're the wolf among lambs. 
They go unnoticed. They garner support inside of the church, networking and moving around. And among the gullible, they will say, follow me and and what I say. Come alongside me and have sympathy for me. They garner support among the gullible. They lobby, I might add, with lewdness, which eventually is shown. But initially, they're simply trying to network within the church. And in doing so, and Jude will have much to say about this as well, they undermine God's authority over the church. Claiming to be recipients of God's grace, they actually pervert it. Professing to believe in Jesus Christ our Lord, they deny His Lordship, including His government within the church. And so Jude writes to us, and he writes to us as the church with concern, that we may exercise caution. But as I emphasize this caution, I also want to emphasize this. He does not lead us to be fearful. No Christian, in fact, should be fearful because God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so, if you are prone to fear, if you hear this sermon and those that follow, and it causes you to be fearful, know that fear does not come from God. It comes from the devil. Know that fear comes from sin. Not obedience. We who trust in Christ are indwelled by the Spirit of God. And through His presence, we have the power to withstand the temptations of our flesh. We have the power to withstand the attacks of the enemy. The Prince of Darkness Grimm, Luther said, We tremble not for him. <laughs> And so, we are not helpless victims. No Christian is a helpless victim. Instead, Scripture says that we are not just conquerors, but we're what? More than. We are more than conquerors. When you are tempted to fear, remember this truth. Neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That there will be deceivers who sneak into the church is a fact. That you should fear separation from God is a lie. Since this is the truth, and if Satan hates Christ's church, he seeks to undermine her ministry, he sends, according to Jude, he sends his pawns into the church to do his bidding, then what I want to focus on in the remainder of this sermon is, how shall we then live? How shall we live if this is the case? And I want to start with this, and even though it's a short short expression, It is a key to understanding this book. We shall live as loved. 
we shall live as loved. Jude addresses us as beloved. Now, why does he do that? Well, he's conveying his love for Christ's church, of course, but also, and most importantly, the love of God for us. We are, as he puts it here, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Got the punctuation there. Our identity, think about this, as believers in Christ, our identity is beloved. The distinction is key. And the reason why I say that is because this is exactly what the Apostle John was saying in 1 John when he says, in this is love. Pause there for just a second. When John says that, in other words, what he is saying is, let me define love for you since the world abuses, misuses, and falsely defines that word. Let me define love for you. He says, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. God's love, then, is not a response to our love. God isn't waiting for you to say, well, I wish John would love me. I'm waiting, I'm wishing, I'm wanting him to love me. If only. No. I love because I have been loved. I am beloved and so are you. Before the foundation of the world, Paul says, in love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And God's eternal love for us then motivates our love. Again, John puts it this way. We love because why? Because He first loved us. We love as Christians because we are loved. And we are loved by God our Father. It's important for us to understand this at the outset of the study of Jude. And the reason why I say that is because Jude has much to say about the sinful behavior of deceivers in the church. A lot to say, actually, about it. We, who are in Christ, have a different motive. That's where I wanted to direct your attention to, is love and what it motivates. We have a different motive in the church than those who creep in unnoticed. Those who pervert the grace of God. The difference is love. The object of our love motivates our behavior. Now I want to repeat that because if you're going to miss anything, don't miss this. The object of your love, the object of your love motivates your behavior. If you are in love with a certain sin, that motivates your behavior. Likewise, if you are in love with God, if you have a love for God, because He first loved us, if you love God, that motivates how you live. Jesus said, and I'm, this is John's not making this up, right? Jesus said this very clearly. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Showing us that there's a connection between love and obedience. But if a love for Christ is not present in your heart, then obedience to Him will be absent. No matter the lip service, because that's how those creep in 
The ungodly creep in unnoticed because they know all the vocabulary. They know how to say it, when to say it, why to say it. They can spin a web and you can go, wow, that person must be a person of God. Until, and Jude's going to tell us what happens, until they reveal themselves as a fraud. As God's beloved in Christ, we love Him. And that motivates how we live. And in this eternal, unmerited, steadfast love, we are led not to sin, but to grow in godliness. My desire to grow as a believer is motivated by God's love for me. Because I want to please Him. I want to please the one who loves me more than anyone else and who I love more than anyone else. God does not motivate us, contrary to worldly opinion of what Christians say, let's make it clear, God never motivates us by guilt or shame. The devil does. Your sinful flesh is genius at this. God doesn't do that. He never motivates us by guilt or shame. God does not coerce us. God does not manipulate us into obedience with the enticement of love. If only you loved me, then I would bless you. Then I would love you back. No, no, double no. God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God worked monergistically in our salvation while we were dead in sin, while we knew not Him, while there was no hope in our hearts, before we even knew the gospel, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The more we grow then in our love for God, the more we desire to please Him, to obey Him, to live for Him and His glory. So you got to get this first. The object of our love motivates our behavior. A love for God leads to obedience. Those who disobey the deceivers, as we'll see in this book, they do not have a love for God. The second area that I want to draw to your attention is beware the perversion of grace. Beware the perversion of grace. Here's the sad thing. Just because you are a member of a church, just because you are in the church, does not guarantee a love for our Lord. I wish that were the case. Easy believism can breed increased attendance. Proven fact, it works. But it doesn't lead to converted hearts. Unconverted hearts don't love the Lord. And they don't desire to obey Him. So we can fill up a church. Every pew filled. But that doesn't mean that every pew is filled with those who truly love the Lord. What Jude describes here though is far more sinister than easy believism. Jude is describing deceivers, those who have intentionally crept into the church, those 
who are skillful in their deception, so skillful that they go unnoticed. They profess to be Christians. They even act like Christians. And they can even deceive the less discerning within the church. Even gathering a following of unsuspected followers, yet ultimately leading to strife in the church and an undermining of ministry. And we'll pause here, and Jude has much more to say about this, but whenever you see types of followings and you see someone lobbying within the church, the local church or the broader church, when you see a lobbying effort A Pied Piper saying, you need to follow me. We need to oppose the elders of the church and the governance of the church and so forth and so on. That should be a huge red flag. That means that Satan is at work. But they creep in unnoticed. That they creep in unnoticed, however, is not unnoticed by God. And Jude makes this, in fact, before he even gets into what we're going to learn about the ungodly deceivers, before he even does that, he's got to make a clear statement about the sovereignty of God. Did you notice that? He says that God knows. Well, actually, look at it with me. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary, etc., 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 for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. So, so it's, it's, it's not that God doesn't understand. It's not that God doesn't know. But in fact, He does. I mean, think about it this way. He who according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, He who preserves and governs all His creatures and all their actions, is not surprised by the tactics of the godly. Ever. God does not set up in heaven, wringing His hands, wondering what next is going to happen in the church. In fact, Jude says that these demonic deceivers were, again, look at the text with me, designated for this condemnation. Another translation by a commentator puts it, marked out for this judgment. God has deemed it beforehand, which is a mystery to me and to you. I'm not sure how and why that works that way, but Jude says it does. And so, God in His sovereignty has already condemned and judged, directed their condemnation, directed their judgment, beforehand. Now Jude, again, is going to say much more about this condemnation or judgment, but suffice it to say, such heretics are doomed for destruction. But here at the beginning of this epistle, Jude explains not their condemnation, does he? He doesn't elaborate on that, but what he is going to talk about is something, and it's prevalent in our day, just as it was prevalent in the New Testament, the first New Testament churches, Jews explains that their condemnation is evidenced by a perversion. Not only for identification, but he is saying here is a warning. Beware the perversion of God's grace. Now think with me about the second chapter of Ephesians. 
in which the Apostle Paul explains that we are saved by grace through faith, not of our own doing, not a result of works. I would imagine, I've quoted it enough from this pulpit, I would imagine most of you not only know it, but have it memorized. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. But, in summary, what we're saying there is that grace... The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, saves us. He does this through the gift of faith that He gives us, and we are saved by this grace through faith. It's an essential doctrine of the Christian faith, right? That's a key. But it is also a doctrine, think with me, if you desired to distort distort and to deceive the church as the church's enemy, Is that not one of the key doctrines that you would seek to attack? And so our enemy does. He desires to pervert the understanding of grace. And such sinister thinking is devoid of the love of God. For Satan has no love for God, nor do his minions. It pits God's grace against obedience to Him, and it replaces it with sin. Here's the way the argument goes, and you have all heard this. If you're saved by grace, then you can live and sin as you please. If you believe in the grace of God, I mean, I've heard professing Christians of other denominations say this very thing to my face. If you believe in this grace, this easy, sloppy grace, well then... You can just live however you want to. There's nothing to keep you in between the rails. Just go and sin. (laughs) And that's what some even argued. Some alleged that Paul was preaching that very thing. What shall we say then? Should we go on sinning that grace may abound? Paul said, right? Actually, he said, by no means, as it's translated. The idea is, is that such perversion thrives in submission to the sensual appetites of the flesh, especially sexual immorality. Obedience to Christ under His Lordship is replaced with a justification of gratifying the flesh under the auspices of the grace of God. And if you're not realizing this is happening In this very moment, you're not paying attention. If you're wondering how churches today can, can confess that they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God, and yet define homosexuality as identity rather than sin, and perform marriage ceremonies between two people of the same sex, and embrace the myriad of other sexual perversions of our day, all under the auspices of Christian love, then wonder no more. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. This is how it happens. You wonder? Here's the book of Jude. He's saying, I'm telling you, this is how it works. This is how it happens. This is how entire denominations implode on themselves. This is how the church 
loses its saltiness. This is how the church no longer shines light into the darkness. And then the church becomes no church at all. As our confession says, but rather becomes a synagogue of Satan. And so, in conclusion, Jude calls us to contend. He says, we are to contend for the faith. In other words, that such perversion can lead us to go, I can't believe that's happening in our day. Can you not believe what's going on in our culture? Ah, it's the government. You know, the government. It's leading to this collapse. of It's, it's whoever's in, in office and whatever his or her name is. Blah, 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 blah. And Jude's like, you, know, you wonder if, if Jude from heaven could go, but I, I told him, I wrote to him, it ain't culture. It ain't politics. I said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is exactly how it happens. Do you wonder? That such perversion, ha- perversion has, that such perversion does, that such per- perversion will infiltrate the church, Jude says, is fact. Going to happen. No doubt about it. Prepare yourselves, brothers and sisters, that we are at the mercy of this perversion as victims, as if we can do nothing about it, that we cannot stand against it, that we must just take what it comes at us is a lie. It is a lie from Satan. Beloved, in the salvation that we share in Christ, in the common union of our faith, Jude leads us to say that we must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Perversion of the church is as old as Adam. And it is as new as gender pronouns. (laughs) But as the enemy would have us think otherwise, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do not contend, let me be clear, we do not contend by political power or persuasion. We do not contend for the transformation of culture. We seek the conversion of lost souls by the supernatural power of the preaching of the gospel. Which I'll remind you that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the world says that is a bunch of nonsense. And Paul says that my whole life is dedicated to nonsense because I knew nothing among you but preaching Christ crucified. That's what we all say. The only way to protect the church from deception and perversion is to believe in and trust in, preach and proclaim, live in conformity to, and obey the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do not be misled. The wages of sin is death. But the gift 
of eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't ever forget that God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God's grace is not to be perverted, but is to be received. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation for all who are in Christ Jesus For as His beloved, we know that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so by God's grace, we believe the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And though it never gets old, because the gospel that saves us, so also sustains us. And it's the gospel that preserves us. And so, let us then, as Jude puts it, build ourselves up in the faith. In fact, that's exactly what he says in verse 20. You say, well, practically, practically, how are we to contend for the faith? You said it's not politics. You said it's not transforming the culture. So, what do we do to contend for the faith? Well, he answers that in verse 20 and 21. He says, first of all, we're to build ourselves up. Well, how do you build ourselves up in the faith? (sighs) My favorite topic. You read the Word. You study the Word. You meditate on the Word. You memorize the Word. You're under the faithful preaching of the Word every single Sunday. As Paul taught Timothy... Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So you build yourself up by being faithful in God's word, a worker in God's word. For only the word of God has the power to teach, the power to train, the power to rebuke, The power to correct us in righteousness so that we, as God's servants, are equipped for every good work. The second thing that Jude draws to our attention in verse 20 is he says that we contend by the faith, building ourselves up, so also praying in the Spirit. That is, in submission to the Holy Spirit's direction. We, like the early New Testament church, are vulnerable to deception. We are a weak people, and we need help in our weaknesses. Our prayers must be guided by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, that we may not be led astray by the ungodly. And I might add, one of the best ways to do this in praying through the Spirit is to pray the Word of God. It's a great practice to have the Bible open. As you pray, learning to pray Scripture helps with this. The third thing that Jude brings to our attention in verse 21 is that we are to keep ourselves in God's love. And that's why I emphasize the emphasis of beloved and being motivated by our love for God. By faith, 
We obey God for our love for Him. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And in keeping ourselves in the love of God, let let our hope be rooted in His love. And Jude's going to later attach that to our hope of Christ's return. But all of this is rooted in God's love for us and our love for Him. And so, in conclusion, by God's grace, let us contend for the faith. Because in the end, that's what matters. Let me pray for us. Our God in heaven, as we have opened a book of our Bible that could almost be contained in one page, one printed page, and yet, as we have seen, it is so pertinent to the day in which we live. We pray that we would be faithful students of Your Word, that we would be faithful praying in the Spirit, that we would be faithful in being motivated first by loving You who loved us first. All of these we pray for ourselves, asking Your blessing upon us. O God, bless us as a church. Keep us from the deceivers. May we be a people who are faithful to You in thought and word and deed. And all of this by Your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.